So what is the most antagonistic moment you've had as a dungeon master? <laughs> um, most antagonistic? So um, let me let me, let me me get this right. Jake, cut out all my stammers and stutters because I've got to get back it. in the game here. <laughs> so the year was 2013. What a year. W- uh, not a great year. Uh, actually, my wife almost died in a car accident that year. So, uh, wow. Sorry to make it too real. Uh, <laughs> no, what it was is there was a friend of mine, and I had just played, or I'd run D&D for him and, and my friends uh, probably two or three times before that. He got super amped up, and he wanted to run D&D. So he got his sister and his younger brother, who had never even heard of this thing. We went to his house, and we played some of the worst D&D I've ever played. <laughs> oh, no. Um, the thing that jumps out at me as antagonistic is he uh, he had us in like a goblin den or something we were captured and the door was locked and so we couldn't get out and i say well i'm gonna go pick the lock and he says no you can't pick it you have to find the key and i was like okay and that was the shape of the entire game where he had one solution figured out for every problem and there was no room for flexibility and um he didn't have to roll dice or do anything just whatever he said happened happens he's like oh the goblin like cuts your hand off and i'm like do i get a roll it's like no and i'm like this is terrible uh so eventually we found the key underneath the goblin mattress and we got out but uh you know who else got out me from that relationship (laughs) (laughs) oh man wow i i was expecting each of us to kind of uh pour out our own uh transgressions as dungeon masters but uh, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you, you can still do that. <laughs> David, go ahead. All right. So <clears throat> let me uh, <clears throat> squeeze on in. <laughs> I think that I, I mean, I can I can attest that I've been a little bit antagonistic at times. Say it ain't so, David boy. I, I think everybody has their moments. I remember um, one time. There was a, there was like a gladiatorial arena fight, and all of the, uh, all of the players were fighting through the the rounds to make it to the big bad boss that they had to fight, and I just kept getting annoyed with one of the players, so I just targeted him with everything that I could, and I just kept knocking. I knocked him out like three times in a row. Oh, and that was the most antagonistic uh, that I've been. But to be fair, he was being a butthole. Oh my god! <laughs> so, to be fair, he deserved it. To be fair, <laughs> it was a more casual game, so I don't feel that bad about it. But that was the most antagonistic I've been. Interesting. I feel like I am like the cool mom of dungeon masters, <laughs> and yes, you can quote me on that. Um, <laughs> Wait, you're the cool mom. Go, yes. one way. Go on. Yes. I think uh, I'm just like I'm rooting for my my players. Like I'm so like on their team, on their side, that when I have to kind of take off the 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 light touch gloves and have to really be mean, it hurts my heart. And they know that too. I hope so. I think the first time this ever happened to me that because like honestly, you got you guys know me. Like I'm. In the early days, I was running way more of like just a fiasco with like a 5e flavor <laughs> to it. Yes. Where it was just like hyper whatever happens, whatever works. It's like this long form improv um, where obviously the most cinematic thing will happen. 
um, every time. Um, but in one of my early games, it was Rise, my Rise of Tiamat Homebrew. Uh, they were uh, trying to essentially open this portal to suck Tiamat back into uh, uh, back into the Nine Hells or whatever. And this guy like kept tr- he opened the portal successfully, and then he tried to get out of it, and he rolled a natural one. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" I was like, "Okay, <laughs> that's you're you're almost sucked in, but <laughs> try again." Um, and he rolled again, <gasps> and it was a natural one. And I was like, "Ah!" I was like, "Okay, um, you're 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 being pulled in. Maybe your friends can help." Like, like this was back when I was just like Super really mean. on their team. Like, and he rolled again. And guys, guess what? Uh, another natural 20? one. Another natural one. <laughs> That's so <laughs> unlikely. And so I was like, bro. And this guy, I, I, I it's sad to say, actually, um, has not played D&D with us again. Oh. Um, which is, I, I don't think it's related to this moment specifically. I think he had some other qualms with just uh, specifically the the amount of time that Dungeons & Dragons takes uh, and the commitment stuff. Um, but... But the dice that he rolled, that rolled three natural ones to kill him, was uh, is now forever enshrined as our, our cursed die, <laughs> and it is it is a black die that is uh, so it's a d twenty that is poorly made. Um, like I I don't know where I I got it. It's like um, a little bit smaller than your average d twenty. It's a little <laughs> bit lighter, like a lot lighter, <laughs> and it's more rounded off at all the edges. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And all of the the paint for the numbers is scratching off, so it's like <laughs> it's the worst piece of trash die. But like all my friends will like like regard it as like this this uh, holy or like no, uh, cursed artifact. <laughs> uh, the way you describe it, it really does sound like something that would be cursed. Like yeah. it's it's unremarkable and kind of pathetic in its appearance. <laughs> yes. But yes. it's very devious. <laughs> no, it, it's it's bad. And so that that was something, and I don't even think I, I was that antagonistic. You were super um, lenient there. I was, I was. You're right. Maybe I proved my point that I'm not antagonistic at all with that story. Um, but recently, I've actually leaned into, as we're doing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, my players, I think, have just reached level 10. It's getting crazy. Like, they're fighting mummy lords, and they're, uh, like, fighting uh, death knights and all this stuff. And it's getting, like, really high level. I'm, sh- like, having high-level spellcasters blast them with fireball over and over. Um, and they're surviving. And it's almost now this really interesting thing, this evolution, where I'm turning from Charmander into Charmeleon. Um, <laughs> where I- I'm like, okay, I can now be antagonistic with my players because they can take it. Like, I don't have to worry about, oh, no, I went a little too far, and then someone accidentally died. Like, now it's like, I will throw everything I can at you, and I will, like, really be antagonistic toward you to try to kill them, and they'll still succeed. And it's 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 a very interesting style of play that really I have just blocked myself out from, because I wanted the cinematic experience that ended up being, like, very heroic and kind of easy. And now I've I've kind of leaned into it to, like, let's... Ugh, I want to try. Like I'm mad when they kind of cheese it up and and are able to defeat the mummy lord by just kiting them. <laughs> yes, yes, David. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I've evolved into more antagonistic. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Well, this is interesting. It sounds like, if not antagonistic, you've become more of a uh, a gamist strategist, uh, letting letting the players fail and, and big gamer really challenge them. Gamers rise up. 
That's what I always say. Okay, well, well, here's something I I, I think I got to reveal to you guys. Um, oh no! I've uh, for the first time ever uh, this last week I used a battle map for my game. No. Whoa. Okay. No, Jay. Uh, I I don't know. I I am I'm changing. I'm I'm open minded. Um, and my world is changing. You know, I'm disappointed I, in you, son. This isn't what our family stands wait, up on, for. Hold on, this is exactly what you stand stood up for. Like this is you, episode one, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's. Oh, I'm. I, here's the thing. It's not me falling from grace. It's me absorbing every piece of D and D I can until I become this humongous blob of of D and D fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I don't know what to say. It sounds like you're um, are you familiar with this game called Katamari Damacy. It was what? This, it's on the PS2. You play as this little guy who has like a ball, and he rolls up stuff that sticks to the ball, and and you, the ball gets bigger and bigger oh! as stuff sticks to it. And eventually, you're rolling up like houses, and then like continents, and then <laughs> yeah, it just grows and grows. Yes. And I I feel like D and D is that small start of the ball, and everything else is just rolling into it that's it i'll suck anything into me and you can quote me on that (laughs) (laughs) welcome to vox arcana i'm william i'm jake i'm david and this is a podcast about tabletop rpgs game design and advice for all game masters this is episode 47 role-playing as a dungeon master I have a, a barn burner of a question here. <laughs> is a dungeon master an entertainer? Ooh. Um I I'd say yes. Because like there's I think in any social situation, there's always someone where it's like when when the silence starts, when everyone kind of is just like, okay, like everything lulls down from the previous conversation or whatever, there's someone that kind of brings it back. Or like someone who like starts a new conversation who's like Hey, what's what's your favorite color? Whatever, just like just blows into a new conversation. I think that role is kind of fulfilled by the dungeon master. Like there's someone who is like keeping everything on the rails, keeping everyone on the same page. And I think why it, it might not be a classical entertainer role. It is something that is like it's almost like a, the MC of like a comedy event. Mhm. Like their goal is to get every, keep everyone on the same page, keep the show rolling, make sure the people who paid for their tickets are entertained, and so yeah, I, I would quantify a, a dungeon master as an entertainer. Absolutely, I feel like everybody at a game table is an entertainer, <laughs> even the players, because you're all entertaining each other through the game that you're playing. And without the players' entertainment, you know, you're not gonna have a fun game. Without the dungeon master's entertainment, you're not gonna have a fun game. So. In a sense, you're all entertainers entertaining each other. Oh, oh okay, okay. I've, I've got a, I've got a follow up question. If this is, this has been my hypothesis for a while. If you set up all these cameras and all these microphones and said, "Hey guys," suddenly they show up for their normal D and D night, um, and you go, "Hey guys, we're going to be streaming this live." Um, do you think the game would be better or worse, regardless oh. of if the stream is real or not? It depends upon the people, but it probably worse. I think for the first uh, for the what? first night or so it would be worse because I think it'd be better. People would be so shy, and there would be jokes that they would feel like they couldn't make. Yeah, or they would be trying really hard to be like 
to be funny to be funny in a bad way i think eventually i think eventually it would be a lot better i think yeah long term it could be better but jake do you disagree interesting no i i think i i don't know if it's my players that have just played for so long but like if someone puts a camera on me i'm gonna try harder right like <laughs> if it's just, i i don't know it's always um been really interesting to me and obviously i don't have the funds to try that experiment not yet <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I would say for me as a dungeon master, I've kind of had this this mindset. I, I might have mentioned it on the podcast of like, what if I was Matt Mercer? What if a million people were watching me dungeon master right now? And that pressure has made me better. Like it's huh. made me be like, okay, let's let's try a little harder. Let's um, cut out any lulls in the story. Let's cut out any um, just boring stuff. It's like if I pretend there's a crowd watching and i feel like the game gets better because you're trying to cater to an invisible crowd yeah. but it ends up serving the the game as a whole no i think that's good advice um on the WebDM podcast uh, they explained that there's such a difference in the way a game feels when it's streamed versus like a private offline game and uh it, it definitely sounds more stressful and you really are hyper aware of the things you're saying and doing and I think the way you would prep a game, the way you would perform a game would be totally different. I would like to see people play when they know they're being recorded versus when they don't know they're being recorded. In the state of California, that's illegal, David. <laughs> D- David just takes off running as if you hear FBI <laughs> copters. Wait, it's illegal? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh... So I think I, I'm, I've been mulling over this question about the dungeon master being an entertainer, and I think they are. But I think there's so many other jobs that you're doing at the table that what you focus on the most is kind of going to inform how your game feels. So we've talked about definitely we've talked about this before in all of our different styles, and and Jake's more of this uh, improv entertainer. At least he used to be before he went and stop stop absorbed stop. gamer <laughs> became a gamer. Um, but for me, like, I really focus on the, um, what's the right word? Facilitation. Referee. Yeah, I'm I'm more like a judge or referee, uh, a facilitator for the game. Like, I am the interface between the system and the world and the players. And sometimes there is a need for interacting with an NPC, like role-playing. But um, based on the game I'm running right now, um, very little in the in the world of role playing compared to everything else because most of it is like this kind of survival, um, almost like hunting or and archaeology type of game. Hmm. So I think depending on the tone of game and the tone that the GM is desiring, um, you'll be more or less an entertainer. I like to think of the game master as a conductor, and everybody else there is just a, a piece in a larger picture, and you're not necessarily a part of the band, but you're the, you're kind of directing them and guiding them where to go. So does the, is the conductor, you know, a vital piece? Yes. But is it something that can really function on its own? Like not really. So it's, it's more of a dynamic in between the game master and the players. Whereas an entertainer is just kind of someone who can function on their own. They don't need an audience. Mm-hmm. They, but a conductor needs to have the musicians in order to create something, you know, a piece of music, for example. Yeah. It's really crazy how many hats the dungeon master wears. Like there, you know, it's like there's storyteller, there's referee, there's judge, there's 
actor. There's just like so many different moving parts that you're controlling. And that's what's so invigorating to me. That's what's so exciting about being a dungeon master. Author, Dreamweaver, Visionary, Plus Actor. I think obviously that the role of the game master is an incredibly important role. Um, so what are some of the, speaking of the hats that they're wearing, what are, what are some of the important things that the game master does specific to role playing that are, that are vital for the game success? Well, I think just using a lot of energy to communicate the tone and flavor of your world is important. Yeah. Cause imagine if I am, uh, is, is exegizing the right word? I'm just preaching out like this wall of text about oh in 1776 uh, this out happened out of the ether yeah. yeah it's um that's really dry but if you imagine a dm who is standing up and like um maybe even in character like somebody is fervently communicating a detail about the world yeah. like the monster came and consumed my wife i need your help right <laughs> not again not <laughs> that was my second one <laughs> Already you can see uh, the players hopefully are a lot more engaged and uh, you know it's hard to to have your eyes glaze when you've got a, a person shouting and gesticulating at the end of the table um, while sharing information. It's, it's interesting because one of the things that I think of is someone who doesn't role play or you might not think role plays as much is Spencer from uh, Harmon Harmon Quest. Quest. Oh. Yeah. Whereas I, I still think he does role play, but he's not, he doesn't use voices or, you know, character acting. To no, it's all the same voice bring, and, and low energy. Very low energy, but the information that he does give is something that is very useful for the players to make. It's, it's good for the players to make use of. And the highlight in that game specifically is on the characters. It's not on the, the game itself or the story or what they're doing it's more on the the players and the role that they play in that game yeah spencer's a really interesting example we'll, we'll definitely talk about that later too i think one thing a lot of times we get questions about okay i i'm all in i want to be like matt mercer i want to have all this like like hardcore voice acting role playing i'm all in on it as a game master how do i get my players to buy in um, and I think there's the answer is kind of built into the question that like if you have this insane amount of energy, this insane amount of buy-in and um, just kind of – how do I explain it? Like don't care what other people think at the table. Like you're in this kind of safe space where you can just kind of be free to do any ridiculous wacky improv um, and you really stick to the bit and do like all sorts of different accents and stuff and commit to them. The players will almost all the time like match your effort. Um, and so if you want your players to role play more, if you're the game master, you can start that off. Get the ball rolling by role playing super hard, like like being in like really in depth with NPCs. And exploring different accents and stuff. And then your players will often be encouraged to do the same thing. Because they realize, like, okay, we're in the safe space. Like, okay, this guy's doing a terrible Cockney um, chimney sweep accent. But, like, he's committing to the bits. Um, and so, you know, Mary Poppins be damned. Uh, I'm going to try to. <laughs> and so, like, that's really what you want to... If you want your players to buy in, you have to be kind of lead the charge in that role-playing aspect. That's true. And I, I would be cautious because I don't think that um, 
like as we said here, the players will often match uh, the effort of the GM, but not always. And I've had games where um, some players just weren't comfortable talking in character or doing any kind of voice at all. Like they just talk in their regular voice. And I think it's also important for players to know that that is okay too. Um, I know that for Shire players, they might be uh, intimidated or put off by like this GM who's like wildly flailing around and being uh, outrageous. And so I want to differentiate the, or define the difference between uh, energy and enthusiasm because they're not always oh. the same. But I think that just having a lot of enthusiasm for something um, will hopefully make that very comfortable. Yeah. And true. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think another aspect is like <clears throat> just being consistent. Um, like if you every week you're role playing the elves as like this posh British thing, like whatever, and and you're kind of nailing it every week. Like you're just you're continually doing it every week. Like that consistency will also pay off. I think um, uh, in the moment as well. Like if you're doing, sometimes you'll be like, "Oh, what are you doing there, boy? Come on in." <laughs> I mean, come on in. It's like ah. Just stick to the bit. Just finish it out. And, like, as long as you are stuck in character. I've had oftentimes where I'll be like, Oh, hello there. I'm the gnome from Gnomesville. <laughs> and, like, the players, like, the characters, well, wait, no. The, the players will laugh. And they'll be like, okay, this is absurd. And then I go, ha, what do you need? And I'm just committing to <laughs> they, they will be like, okay. They're like sucked back in. They're like, geez, I have, to, I have to interact with this thing. No matter how absurd it is, because the dungeon master is committing to the bit. So I think the commitment and the consistency can really... Even if it's silly, like even if you're like, well, hello there, traveler. I'm the potion salesman. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, this is <laughs> that's insane. That's that's so stupid. And then you're like, but seriously, are you buying any potions? And they're like, oh, uh, uh, of course we are. Y yes, sir. You know, like like they suddenly there's that brief intermittence where it's like, ha ha ha, this is hilarious. But then you commit to the bit, and they're like, oh oh. Uh, Yes, of course, sir. And, and it's like, it's so great to see that, like, kind of brief escape, like, out of the meta and just, like, the laughing and then right back in to, like, role-playing because the dungeon master is committing to it. I think it's also important to note, um, so you're doing a lot of accents here, Jake, and we, we talked about this on the accent episode. Um, like, you don't, like, obviously your accents, Jake, are super fun and very, very great. But you don't have to do accents to to role play in a character. Um, it's just about being consistent with knowing what an NPC wants. Yeah. Because um, because um, the the example I'm thinking of here, Jake, is that so often I'll be like, oh, they meet the the potion salesman, and he's like mysterious and quirky for like the first few interactions, but then they come back a, a session later, and I'm like, um, yeah, hey, I'm the potion masters guys. What's going on? Uh, you want to buy a potion? <laughs> and like all of all of that work is just gone because now I've I've what for whatever reason I'm tired or I've forgotten what he was like, um, and I've just lost an entire avenue of interesting role play. Yeah. See that that's why I think consistency and commitment is important. Like when you even have a random NPC, like they're like, okay, we want to go up to this barkeep, and you're like, okay, hello. They're like, no, we want to go to the other one. <laughs> you're like, hey, what are you doing here, boy? Come on in. You know, and they're like, oh, oh, cool. We love this guy. You know, like that guy. Write down his name. Write down his accent. Be like gross, grungy Brooklyn accent. <laughs> like just like 
commit to it have it like sealed the deal because that's the worst thing is they go oh we want to find our our good friend uh grondo and you're like oh grondo is he oh, hello there how are you doing it's like no that wasn't grondo uh, <laughs> that's not so grondo like, <laughs> so like i think commitment and consistency involve a little bit of bookkeeping um and i mean for me who hates bookkeeping um like i think that's a, a minor thing you can do just to keep the npcs consistent um even if you don't know, kind of add that accent trait and even if you aren't doing accents we'll talk about this later uh but just having a quirk or something um maybe they're missing an eye maybe they have a lisp um all sorts of things you could do to make them memorable i think as far as roleplay goes another key component is engagement so you need to be asking like directly targeting players and saying you know, do you want to buy any potions or what do you, what brings you into town? You know, bringing them into the story and engaging them intentionally rather than just yeah. kind of projecting this character that's there to not to just be there. You need to draw the characters in by directly asking them, like, what do you what do you do? Like, how do you what do you want to say to him? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think there's a tendency to um, default to the Japanese RPG, like potions menu. Yes. And sometimes NPCs really <laughs> can just be like a menu that's like, greetings, traveler. And that's all they get. And it yeah. doesn't really matter. And um, and I guess depending on the needs of the game, like maybe it's stop in town is meant to be nothing more than a menu. Or if you really want to immerse them in like, this is Dragon's Gate, you know, the oldest city in the realm. Um, and, and trying to make sure you communicate that lore and that feeling for uh, for anchoring your tone, as we've talked about many times before. Um, I think inconsistent role-playing is key. So, yeah, Jake, I, I totally agree. One thing that I think is really important to, to role-playing in general as a dungeon master is a little bit of preparation. Oftentimes, uh, dungeon masters will spend so much time plotting out the the cartography of their dungeon and thinking about all these different options to go on and just every possible path and spell scroll and all this stuff. But a lot of times they don't spend any time practicing for the roleplay elements. Um, and I think like even a little bit of time for me, it often takes place in the shower. Uh, like I will think of like, okay, this is the new NPC they're going to meet. How, how am I going to role play them? What do they sound like? And I will just practice like accents in the shower and I'll just like think of ways of speaking and think of like, okay, what are they going to say this, um, in the shower? And you know, that, that doesn't take much time at all. Um, but practicing what the, the, the NPC is going to sound like, I think adds a lot to it. And you could be more prepared uh, for, for anything that pops up. I, I think it's really important to practice. Um, I too have done something similar to this, Jake. Um, there's a podcast I listen to and uh, I'll, I'll just shout it out. It's called hello from the magic tavern. And they, oh, yes, <laughs> yes, they do. It's, it's an improv show. That's kind of with this fantasy theme, but they have really funny, really unique voices on that show, like accents. And what I've done is I I'll hear an accent that I like, and I pause the show and I go into voice memos on my phone and I just record a few things that I would say in that voice so that if, if it's really unique and I wouldn't remember it, like I can hear it back and bring it into whenever I need an accent in my game. Yes, yes. Um, and I think going off that, um, a lot of people who might not be comfortable with accents or haven't done improv, they're just like, what the 
I can't do a British accent. Like I, I don't know any accents. Um, one thing to do that I think humans are just inherently capable of doing is impersonating someone else. Oh yeah. Um, I, I've done this a lot with characters. Like I have a terrible JFK impersonation. <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now because it's horrific. Um, but like if I do that, my players won't recognize that that's a terrible <laughs> JFK impersonation, but it's consistent enough that it can be a an NPC where I can keep up the same terrible impersonation. <laughs> it doesn't matter how terrible it is, as long as it's consistent, that'll happen. I think one of the most common things um, – I, I was reading something uh, for my uh, Historium podcast. Um, there was like uh, this tradition in kind of militaries – of the underlings, like the privates, impersonating their sergeants, like their officers. Um, and that is just a tale as old as time. Like Spartans were making fun of their like military leaders, um, <laughs> like try impersonating them because they got orders from them. And like all of the underlings also were like, oh, yeah, he definitely sounds like that. Um, and it, it's crazy to hear that. But it's like it, it's built into storytelling in general is impersonations. And so even if you have a terrible impersonation, even if you're trying to do just some, some god-awful, horrific impersonation, if you can keep it consistent, your players are not going to go like, wait, are you trying to do a bad Abraham Lincoln impersonation? <laughs> like, <laughs> that, like uh, most likely, they're not going to call you out and it's not going to collapse into this parody. And even if it does, most games are set that that's even better. <laughs> but um, consistency... Um, and starting off with impersonations, like even if you impersonate like your uncle or impersonate someone, you know, really well, mm. um, that can be something that like, is like a different person than you that your players will recognize is, oh, the, the dungeon master is role playing someone that is not them. Wait, so I can't impersonate myself <laughs> in game. <laughs> Actually, um, one time I impersonated David at the table in a game David was playing <laughs> as an NPC <laughs> And I, I think you got it right away. Yes. But it was just like this silly, funny thing of like, because everybody, at least in our circle of friends, kind of has an accepted impersonation of David. Um, and so there's uh, there's certain personality traits that you kind of bring into that. So I'm like, if he sounds like this, he probably thinks like this. And he makes decisions like this. So really now I've just put David directly into the game. And that helps me role play. Like it's, it's good for the laughs and for the memes. But like if I'm putting, let's say, like my mother-in-law into the game like all, nobody else knows her but i now have a really strong idea for an npc that's totally unique it's an impression that's um yeah you know it's not not difficult and it's no one's gonna call me out on it yeah that that's that's super good like i think people need to pe people get afraid because they're like oh my gosh they see you know obviously critical role and matt mercer and all these voice actors doing all this crazy stuff and it's like no no, no. like pick something you're familiar with and just lean into that um, and, and that can lead to other stuff and all this stuff takes practice, right? Like when I first was a dungeon master, oh my gosh, I literally had one NPC, which was a combination between posh, uh, chimney sweep, uh, Scottish, Australian, and Irish. Um, and it was just like, hello there, what's going on? It's the worst thing. And it was just, it was, yeah, yeah it the made worst. people vomit. It was vomit inducing. Um, but like now I've gotten better and better and i've i've um i'm actually this is guys you know this this is my passion it's like um my wife is a speech language uh therapist um and so 
me and her will often look on YouTube for videos that are basically like dialect coaches ah. um, that are doing all sorts of different dialects. And oh my gosh, that stuff is just so interesting to me. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I've gotten much better at accents and dialects, um, but because I've, I've looked into it, it's really been important to me. But the bottom line is consistency and commitment. If you commit to the bit, your players will appreciate it either in comedy or in uh, uh, satisfaction. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, if you commit to something and you're just consistent with it, it will always pay off. And it's so much better than just being like, the general store manager looks at you and goes, hello, I have these for sale. <laughs> and it's like, like, there's so much room for flavor there like that, that, that you're missing out on. And so, yeah, commitment, consistency. You don't have to be good at any of these things. Just commit to it, though. Speaking of a random shopkeeper, innkeeper, whatever, like there's so many opportunities for role play. Like maybe instead of saying like, hello, traveler, here are my wares. Uh, you could be like, you know, the shopkeeper has a bruised eye and he's he seems shy and um, he explains to you like, uh, you know, I was beaten by the city guard because of the, the curfews that they've implemented in the town because of this. Like you've just now snuck a little lore into a situation where there normally wouldn't be any. Sneaky one, aren't oh you? Oh my gosh. Hold, hold on. So this is, I can't remember where I read this, but I know this was Stephen King. Uh, it might have been in his writing book, like on writing. I've read it three um, times. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's in there or not, but he said, um, always add just this strange bit of information that makes the human mind go, wait, what? Hmm. Um, and like he said, the most effective way to do this is a waitress with a black eye. Oh. And it's like, wow. Like, like a mat, like just a waitress with a black eye. It's like, okay, there, there's obviously so much there. Um, and it, it just begs for more info. Um, and that's the kind of things that you add into your NPCs that make them great. It's like, okay, yeah, they're missing four fingers on their right hand. Oh, that's good. Like, it's just like, like randomly and just add this in. And it doesn't even have to have a reason. But your players will be like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> like, and that's that's the point is you want to have these details. I, I can't remember where I read this, but I know this was Stephen King. Uh, it might have been in his writing book, like on writing. I've read it three um, times. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's in there or not, but he said um, that always add just this strange bit of information that makes the human mind go, wait, what? Hmm. Um, and like he said, the most effective way to do this is a waitress with a black eye. Oh. And it's like, wow. Like like a mat, like just a waitress with a black eye. It's like, okay, there, there's obviously so much there. Um, and it just begs for more info. Um, and that's the kind of things that you add into your NPCs that make them great. It's like, okay, yeah, they're missing four fingers on their right hand. Oh, that's good. Like, it's just like, like randomly and just add this in. And it doesn't even have to have a reason. But your players will be like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> like, and that's that's the point is you want to have these details that um, in the philosophical term beg the question. Mm -hmm. You want them to 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 want to know more. <clears throat> so, Jake, I'm having an idea for some practical. Okay, so in the past, I've explained my favorite method uh, of yeah. generating NPC names, or at least um, prepping them, and that is I write a, a list from A to Z, and I write in a name that starts with the first every letter. Mm -hmm. But now, hearing all this stuff, I think it would be just as important oh, to have yes, a second yes. column of just a bunch of 
quirks, right? Like maybe a bandage on their hand, a black mm-hmm. eye, a limp, like just something to pair with that name. Now you have not only yeah, a name, like but a something bite mark on their forearm you, or a crazy glowing tattoo. <laughs> and you, like, yeah. And you just scratch it off when you make it. And now your NPCs yes. are so much better and yes. it costs um, no, you nothing. No, it costs you 60 seconds before the <clears throat> session. Like, yeah, it's essentially nothing. <laughs> before yeah. the session. Yeah, that, that's really good. Yeah, nobody nobody cares about Grognar, the bartender, but they care about a guy with who's missing an eye. Yeah, How yeah. Recently, recently, missing. it looks like it's still bleeding. <laughs> like that's that. There's a story yeah. there, and that's interesting. But so you need to have that. It's almost like writing plot hooks for NPCs, where mm-hmm. you want something that draws people in that wants. You're you're trying to get people to want yeah. to engage yeah. with them. Going back to our world building uh, where we started from uh, the top down and, and from the bottom up and kind of built it as we wanted, or at least we suggested ideas for how to build a world. I think that um, my, my advice was to not put in parts of the story that you can't show to the players. And I think that if you've thought about like, oh, here's this war, here's this famine, like how do we show or demonstrate a famine to players uh, using NPCs? And that could be something like, though, this guy's really skinny or like, I don't want to get too gruesome, but there's there's ways to communicate He's that missing solely all by the people, because <laughs> he uh, it's sacrificial oh. cannibalism. He volunteered to be oh. eaten by the tribe, right? Like this is where my <laughs> mind goes for the world building. No, I think that's really good, and I, I think this this definitely ties into world building and tone a ton, right? Because you as the dungeon master, you're kind of one of your main levers to pull is how you portray your NPCs and how you roleplay them out. Um, and if you roleplay them all out as these jolly, wonderful, excited, normal people, then like it's hard to convey a world that's in tragedy. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think, I think it's super important to basically infuse whatever tone you want for your world. I think it's important to infuse that into your roleplaying of all your NPCs. Like if it's a war torn country, Everyone should be, you know, missing a limb or covered in blood or uh, have has a, a rough cough um, or is telling war stories. Like all these things are part of the NPCs that just just completely inundate the plot with the tone you desire. My other favorite part of uh, role playing storytelling for NPCs is providing imperfect information. Um, I think that Matt Colville has explained this. Like you have a, a bartender who calls. Anybody who's not a human, a dwarf, <laughs> like they might be a halfling or a gnome or something, but he's like, oh, the, talk to the dwarf over there. And, uh, or, or they're giving you just incorrect information that's generally right, but maybe like in some very important and crucial ways, it's wrong. And I think players don't expect that because we expect um, living here in the age of wikis and any information you want is at your fingertips. You don't expect people to give you wrong information. Uh, yeah, m- most of yeah, the time. Yeah, that that is really great. Like, so, someone That's will be like, like tortured. They'll be like, "Oh, they're right there in the south keep. Please don't kill me." And they like, "Okay, I roll insight." It's like, "Okay, you rolled the nineteen. Yeah, they're telling the truth, but it's like they were wrong." And like that sort of stuff is yep. just like, yeah, it, it's really, it's satisfying. It's a good twist. I liked um, the idea that the this peasant town, they don't say, oh, there's a minotaur down in like Barrow's Deep. They're like, there's a monster that lives in the south, right? It's just mm. the monster. It could be an owlbear or an ogre or something, but like they don't know oh the terminology. Or even, okay, so this yeah. brings me back. I, I, sorry, I just heard this. 
that the term bear uh, comes from like a Danish word, like meaning like bear, um, which means the brown thing. Because mm. the word bear was like, or like naming the the name of the actual creature a bear was essentially like Voldemort to people in Northern Europe because they were so <laughs> devastating. Like bears would come and just destroy people. And so they literally would not say the word for bear. So to this day, lingu- like people, linguists do not know the Northern European word for bear. The, wor- the word bear <laughs> just means brown thing because they refuse to say it out loud. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I love that. Oh my that's, gosh. That's interesting. Um, there was a uh, game I I ran a playtest for it, I think only once, maybe twice, called Stone Top. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. entire game takes place. Yeah, yeah. I, I've probably talked about it before a long time ago. Um, and, and it's trying to solve the murder hope world problem by having players oh, live in this that. village and like that. their family is there. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it was terrific. Um, but in the, the woods, even the way the dungeon masters, uh, world and setting material is written is they just talk about the Crinwin that live in the wood. And I'm, you're like, what the heck is a Crinwin? <laughs> and they never really tell you, at least not in the playtest I had. And since then the author has gone in and, and defined what that means, but I oh, wish he had it because yeah. it's so much more interesting saying like, there's some kind of weird little people with thing. very sharp teeth who live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, 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 the oh, little men. Yeah. Um, that, there's a, a setting that I'm interested in running a game in soon. Um, and there's a uh, an area called the Lang Plateau. And the people who live there are just called the Men of Lang, which I think is from Lovecraft. But that's in the setting, too. And they don't say what they are. They just say they're very strange creatures called the Men oh. of Lang. And my imagination is See, instantly okay, so th- captured. This, this talks about also in the... Uh, in reference to revealing tone through NPCs and stuff. And I think uh, giving vague information can also definitely affect your tone, right? Like, you have the, if you have this kind of yeah. standard, heroic, fantasy, almost more railroaded plot, like, everything is going to be kind of well-defined. Like, the, the NPCs will be like, oh, that is the, the sun elves. They have been worshipping Dundar, the sun, sun serpent, for this many years. You know, like, there's going to be kind of – everything is – preordained and and revealed um well as if you're going into a more of a darker grimmer (coughs) type of worlds like they'll be like uh okay we're going here what do we know about this and the one npc who's missing an eye and two arms and a leg who's like oh that's where the deep ones live and it's just like that's all you get you know, like they're like, okay, Dungeon Master, yeah. what are the deep ones? And it's like, nope, that's they're the deep ones. <laughs> I just gave you all that you will ever know. And so that that also informs the plot uh, a lot. It's like how much information the NPCs give to the players. Oh, man, I just, I've got so many ideas for D&D games and so <laughs> no time to play it. So, um... So something that is um, has been important for me as I have been building world over years that I've tried to stay consistent to, which has been uh, really fun, um, is to establish rules, not really rules, to establish tropes about what the different races are, about what the different classes are, about how they operate, what are the big organizations, that sort of thing. Um, so I'd love with you guys to go through these and just kind of talk about the the big fantasy tropes that kind of inundate what what an npc will be 
You're talking about uh, like cultural role playing. Yeah, yeah, archetypes? just archetypes for. I guess we'll start with races. Um, we can get into uh, classes and occupations later. But um, <clears throat> so yeah, let's. So just like yeah, stereotypes. Yeah, essentially, yeah, that's what a trope is. It's like something that is so standard um, that it's become cliche, um, but it works for that reason. So, um, so so yeah, let's start with the the races of the different types of of creatures and people in role playing games. So so let's start with the elves. Okay, so um, a few things come to mind with elves. And the first is that it seems like they're always British. It does. Like this high, yep. uh, classy British. And I don't know where that trope started. Um, I don't think it was Lord of the Rings because obviously uh, written text doesn't come with an accent. Um, but there is this assumption about the fact that if you live long enough and you were um, part of this culture that knows how to oh, um, man. be sophisticated enough to preserve yeah. their, their knowledge and wisdom, they must be educated, and that, I guess, okay, okay. means brave. He, here's my yeah. theory on that. I think <clears throat> that this, this – you're right. It didn't come from Tolkien, which a lot – spoiler alert – a lot of these tropes that we'll talk about do come from Tolkien. Um, but I don't think this does because I think this comes a little bit later when role-playing games and fantasy became popular in the United States. Um, the United States, which was used to be a British colony, kind of views Britain and and the, the British accent uh, as this more ancient thing that we are unfamiliar with, right? Like the United States is this young cowboy like crazy yeah. risk-taking <laughs> ridiculous new thing whereas england is like this very ancient old conglomerate of the the vikings and the the danish and the french and the english and the celts and all the stuff that forms um britain and so it kind of does feel more elvish right like you go into you look at the British Isles and it's just like, yeah, there's so much history there. When you look at, you know, Boston, it's like, yeah, there's like some, obviously some Native Americans there that we have no history of. Um, and then we, it's just like these new pioneers and that's all we have. And so it feels very much like United States is like the humans of the hypothetical realm. And like the British Isles is this more ancient. It has all this history. It's more long lasting. Everything feels longer, mm -hmm. bigger older sort of thing that's a really interesting point because it's almost like from an american point of view um the british people are elves in the sense that they are ancient maybe mysterious though i don't know if that's the right word um but definitely kind of uh also uptight or uh old-fashioned they have a superiority complex yeah sorry to our but, british listeners we're not really saying this but well, that's I a think perception that, that perception yes. definitely comes from the american revolution where i mean the, the song yankee doodle mm. was literally making fun of just these kind of dumb inbred american idiots right and so <laughs> and, and the wrong. fact that these dumb inbred american idiots adopted that as their theme song just speaks testament to just kind of the the crazy renegade cowboy aspect of the United States. Um, but yeah, England does. Yeah. I don't know if the elves have that connection, but there's more this, like, I think because of how old the elves can be, um, it really leans into that of like looking kind of when I role play a classic elf, they're always looking down their nose at whoever they're mm. talking to. It's kind of this posh regal British accent. Mm. 
Um, let's move on to the dwarves, my favorite race in oh. fantasy. Um, and there's something about them, like obviously the the cliche or the trope is that they're Scottish for some reason. <laughs> and thinking about it, the way we just thought about the elves, um, Scotland is a really small country in the context of the the world, and there's not a lot of them. And I think there is this feeling if you uh, if you're familiar with like. Um, uh, Braveheart and the story of like the uh, the yeah. clans and the clan wars and stuff. It's dwarves are very clannish and there are not a lot of them, and they you know they're they're just Scottish people, I guess. Yeah, dwarves are they've always been underrated, in my opinion, in a lot of fantasy stuff, um, especially recently, um, when people have all sorts of exotic, crazy race options, but. Um, yeah, I like to ma- I like to make the dwarves like a big superpower, um, but but dwarf t- traditional dwarven uh, tropes uh, are like they're kind of this blue collar, hardworking race, um, and they're they're very stubborn. They like drinking their ale um, and getting to work in the morning, and yeah, they have this kind of true stubborn hardworking blue collar type of vibe to them that in my opinion i think that's a big trope is this like a low-key racist or, or like a, a cultural slur on the scots that they're just sort of blue collar very stubborn hard-headed people like, i think so because i know that um yeah i think so too because i yeah. think uh tolkien i don't know if he based them on the scots but i know that he had done some reading out loud and the way he wrote even like samwise um, his voice was a certain regional accent uh, from England. This is Welsh, I believe. And so I, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, and so I wonder if when he was writing, he's just picturing like, okay, who do I know who's, who kind of fits this character? And that person happens to be Scottish. Like this very stubborn, but very like kind-hearted person in the form of Gimli. Um, and that just has now been extrapolated uh, infinitely to all dwarves across yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, mean, makes sense. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, God, dwarves are so underrated. Guys, if you're looking to play a character, make him a dwarf. Just do it. Oh, um, I want to add in here that I heard this on a podcast one time that uh, one game designer, all of his dwarves have Ooh. Russian accents. And it's amazing how quickly you, your idea of a race changes based on that, because uh, Scottish accents, at least from here in America, they seem kind of like uh, cuddly and, and nice, like Shrek was Scottish <laughs> and he's, you know, grumpy, but ultimately lovable. Donkey! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Russians are notoriously kind of scary. They're the scariest white people, uh, I heard one comedian say. Um, if you're Russian, I don't think you would disagree. No. Um, but if you think of dwarves as being like, well, these guys are dangerous, and they probably have like a flintlock underneath their kilt, um, it changes. Always ready to start a fight. <laughs> it changes That's how you role play. I, I like almost my dwarf. Like I, I have a decent Scottish accent, so it's gonna remain that. But I think of like culturally, my dwarves are more like probably like Denmark, Norway, Sweden type, um, like kind of Nord, mm. Nordic tradition, like in between Russia and Scotland. Um, but yeah, I, I love the. The hard, you know, blue collar aspect of them, like just the working class, like willing to do what it takes. Um, super, yeah, super interesting. I think it'd be fun to build a world where you just have an accent generator and a race generator and you match them up. So you get dwarves who sound like African or humans who are all just like Mediterranean. And that's amazing. And that's what I think um, for me, I think it's really important later on because 
you know, if you're introducing people to fantasy, which at this point in our world, right, when it's 2019, people know what fantasy is, right? So they kind of know the tropes. They know their what we've talked about so far, the elves and the dwarves. There's kind of this these stereotypes. Um, and you can begin to play with that. And suddenly you can have, yeah, these these uh, dwarves that sound very African um, and maybe have a more uh, tribal shamanistic viewpoint uh, that is super interesting. Or you can add these elves that maybe have the, like a very strict order and live underground. <laughs> and it's like you can you can start mixing and matching. But I think it's really, really, really important to have these kind of fantasy tropes set up up front before you begin tearing them apart and remaking them. And this, this raises an interesting point for me because I know that if I'm going to play in a D&D game, or, or probably if a lot of people wanted to, I expect elves to be like the elves that I expect. Yes. And that's a very circular thing. Like, But if you're saying, oh, my elves live underground, are extremely industrial, and they they don't have a and single tree like like on there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm like that's not really what I think of when I think of elves, and that's that's not that's my fantasy. I would change the term elf because when you, when you have all these terms like elves and dwarves and all that, they're kind of loaded. Yeah, they have these these uh, uh, communal meanings behind them where everybody has a general idea of what an elf mm-hmm. is. You know, pointy ears, all that. So if you're gonna change the race enough to where it's, you know. It it should almost completely just be disagree. Mm-hmm. Completely yep. disagree. So Whoa, hold on. The whole thing really? is like now that we have these tropes set up, you are now allowed to play against type. And so I don't think we should discourage that by being like, okay, these elves are super industrial and live in the volcano and uh, make weapons all day. Um, and speaking a German accent, should we be like, oh crap? Should we not call them elves anymore? Like. Uh, No, I I like that elves have these kind of weirdly, I mean, obviously Eurocentric origins. And I like being able, now that we have the trope, being able to play with that. I think that's fun. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with David about like just changing the name. Um, Because obviously I could just like have, here's elves that do this and then different, like the dark elves do this. Um, I I think, Jake, that my point is just that there is kind of an acceptable range in which you can move a race. Um, But if you go too far, then it becomes unfamiliar. And it's like, yeah, like, oh, like our elves live in a giant city that rolls on treads uh, and they just eat other smaller cities on treads. I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well... I mean, that doesn't, I don't know. Like David's saying, the term elf, the term dwarf, they're kind of preloaded in the minds of people. And so I think if you really want to go far outside the the bounds of expectations and just completely subvert the trope, maybe it would be better to have um, either a different name or a different sub, like a prefix to your race. Well, I think um, it's important to, like, if you're you're making a new world, um, if you're playing with new people, I think that's when you determine, like, okay... Are are these people familiar with what the dwarves are, what the elves are? Then you can kind of have more leeway. Um, mm-hmm. Where if it's like, okay, I'm playing with my coworkers who have never watched Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones ever, then it's like, oh, okay, then yeah, let's let's start at square one, <laughs> right? I think it's important to establish those tropes before you begin busting them up. Yeah. Um, let's talk about everybody's favorite race, the humans. What? 
how do we differentiate humans from these other races? Because as far as I can tell, the differentiation is just that they lack any unique uh, cultural so icon. humans is something... Okay, so yeah, humans obviously are versatile. Um, I think one of the main traits is they just don't live as long. And so it's like dwarves and elves will look at them and be like, oh, kind of almost look at them as like children, um, which is really interesting to mm-hmm. kind of play with the age stuff. Um, I know in my world, I've limited a lot of that um, to where like elves up to be like 300 years and dwarves up to be like 150 years and humans same age. So it's like, it's not crazy. Like, because when, when you realistically look at like someone it's like, okay, this person, they've been alive for a thousand years. That gets hard to role play even. Yeah, we yeah. can't imagine it's what it's like. It's, yeah, seeing it's insanity. Like that person would. Oh man, I, I I'd pay a lot of money to see what a one thousand year old person would act like. But 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 anyway, um, yeah, humans have this this very interesting place in the world. Uh, but I think the one thing they have in a lot of origin stories um, that I kind of like is this kind of idea of colonialism. Is that like the elves and the gnomes and the dwarves were living fine and then suddenly the humans showed up like they're the kind of this new race mm. whether it's like they're spacefaring and they suddenly their spaceship crashes um or they just show up from ships from the west or whatever the, like they're kind of new on the scene um and i like that it kind of feels right with kind of their you know they don't live as long as the other races either um, it can be really interesting. I like them being kind of like very good at what they do, very good at empire, <laughs> but um, also being kind of uh, naive and not being able to reconcile with the other races. There's a lot of conflict there that I really like. I think it's hard because in order to contrast like a person who with a short life with kind of a reckless uh, uh, propensity for behavior um, – you have to now be very thoughtful and slow with how you role play uh, everyone else. Yeah, yeah. You can always do what the writers of the original Star Trek did uh, to make Kirk <laughs> seem smarter. They just made everybody else much dumber, which doesn't really help anybody. Because um, that, yeah. See, yeah. see the problem. <sighs> I don't have. Yeah, a solution. I think humans. Um, you know, I like them being new on the scene, um, versatile. Um, I think in the in the DMG and stuff like that, um, player's handbook, it's like. They can fulfill any alignment. They're they're very um, uh, versatile. I think uh, for me, mechanically, if we're talking about five E, I have banned the variant human uh, because of their mm. initial uh, free feet. Um, and in order to wow, I've used that yeah, exactly. so many times. Well, here I'm here's the thing, David. In order to human. combat that, I've given every race a free feat. So, so it's mm. like anyone get, yeah. So it's like human isn't this like sought after thing. They don't get two no, feet. No, no, absolutely not. So it's, it's, it's made it um, much more balanced. I feel. Cause yeah, with the variant human, yeah, there is this kind of grognard power gamer pull to want to be a variant human. Um, but like, yeah. I think it's much more balanced now where the humans just get the plus one to, to all those and then get, get the feet anyway, along with any other, race there's one very interesting uh idea for humans in the world that came out of um when fourth edition was being developed they had 
I guess you'd call it like a development diary. They publish these PDFs that's like a behind the scenes with a game development team saying like, here's the problems we saw with D&D like three and before that. uh, And here was how we tried to fix it. And so like, I mean, obviously fourth edition is hugely contentious and divisive, um, but they, they had um, essentially like a rules version. Like here's what the rules team did and here's what the lore team did. And I really recommend everybody go read the fourth edition developer diary rule uh, lore book um, because for humans in this case, they were trying to differentiate them. They also did stuff with halflings that I'll talk about later. And they said uh, that yes, humans are sort of like the, the Mario in Mario Kart, right? They're, they're the neutral and everything else is defined in terms of what a human is. Um, so they decided that humans were the most corruptible <laughs> race. These are the people who would be influenced by demonic stuff. Uh, they're going to make a deal with the devil to gain power because of their short lives. And I thought that was interesting because that now makes every other race different again because they're much less oh. corruptible. And so if you have an evil warlock who lives in his tower down in like the salt flats of Moorhair or whatever, um, it, it's a human, right? It's very unlikely that a dwarf would be influenced by by this stuff. So it, it was I an interesting like take on yeah, uh, humans. I like the, I mean, I, yeah, the, the, I think living not as long kind of adds to that of like, they, yeah, they're corruptible. They want as much as they can, they can claw the dirt for, for the pathetic 80 yeah. years they live. Okay, so let's get into one of my favorite underrated races, uh, the gnomes. Our little friends, the gnomes. What, what, what are your guys' uh, experience with the gnomes and that your kind of uh, thoughts on uh, the stereotypes around them? I've definitely been influenced by my time in Azeroth, the World of <laughs> Oh, yes, wow. They've just... That, that is the gnome in my mind. <laughs> yeah. There's no other gnomes. I played a gnome wizard... Uh, or no mage they were called named piddly <laughs> on the hijal server so if you're listening to this podcast and you know who that was uh hit us up at boxercannapodcast.com with the subject line i knew you and wow if not uh you know for the alliance <laughs> for the horn anyway um yeah i see gnomes as very techni or sorry techie technical uh intelligent kind of scheming um aloof here meaning uh you know cold and un- unfriendly unforthcoming like absent-minded professor type things yeah they're just um kind of hard to deal with they don't need to deal with you and so they often choose not to they have the best technology which puts them in a position of dealing with outsiders constantly yeah. so in a way it's like if you imagine a uh, tenured professor at yale being constantly bothered by the uh, plebeians who <laughs> who claw at the walls um that's that's how I see gnomes. Like, well, stop bothering me. Is yes. it just me or do I, I, anytime I imagine a gnome, it's just a grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all old. No, I've never seen a young gnome in any of my games. <laughs> see, they're all this just is something old. that is good about playing against type. Mm-hmm. It's because, yeah, that's, you imagine a gnome is like that. But, like, let's go back to the dwarves. Like, it's great to introduce, like, a female dwarf who's, like, this super daring adventurer um, and is, like, also very feminine, but, like, also has stubble. And it's, like, okay, <laughs> like, it's, like, okay, that's cool. It's, like, this cool little um, glimpse into dwarven culture. Same thing with gnomes. Like, imagine, like, a female gnome. Like, how do they sound? How do they act? Because, yeah, I feel like these tropes, while valuable, um can be traps where we yeah we always imagine this gnome is this kind of absent-minded professor you know who's balding with white hair 
She's like, oh, always with what, the balding. what can I do for you, boy? You know? <laughs> they're like some old grandpa, but they're only the size of like a cat. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Smaller than a halfling. Yeah. I, um, tastier than a half work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let our audience decide that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think gnomes are, are really fun. They're probably my favorite um, race to, to be like a shopkeeper. Um, it's just so fun when people come in. They're like, okay, uh, yeah, we'd like to see your wares. And he just pops up over the counter like a spring. He's like, like a jack-in-the-box. He's like, hello there. <laughs> well, what can I do for you, boy? You coming here trying to get your wares? I'll show you wares. You know, and it's like, it's this fun thing. And and exactly your reaction is the player's reaction. Like, they, they like, laugh. Like, oh, this is so silly. And then I just keep going. Like, I'm like, no, seriously, are you going to buy anything? Or I'm going to kick you out of this joint. You know, and then and then they're like, okay, uh, uh, yes, sir, uh, we'd like to, to order this and this and some rations and some water. And it's like, <laughs> I love that, like, initial burst of insanity where all the the players and characters laugh. And then they're like, oh, wait, this is, yeah, this is who, this, this is a real person. <laughs> I feel like I had something I was going to add, but it's gone because of your uh, outrageous, <laughs> like a jack-in-the-box gnome impression. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Gnomes, um, I mean, in general, like just going by the tropes, um, usually are very good at, in my game, homebrew, I've added a skill in 5e uh, governed by intelligence called Tinker, um, which uh, kind of adds into like kind of the gunsmith and like uh, gunpowder and that sort of. That sort of thing, um, which has made gnomes more like like gnomish inventions and stuff has uh, have, have been effective, um, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, gnomes are super. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I think they're one of the only races that gets a plus two to intelligence in Five E. They're which, very smart, which leans itself into yeah. Obviously, uh, uh, what's what's the new what's the new thing? The gunsmith or what's the no, oh, the artist, artificer. The artificer, yeah, yeah. Wizard, artificer, yeah, all that intelligence. Big brains. Stuff. Yeah, big brain big boy. Brain. Big brain move. All right, what's next? Halflings. Oh. David, what do you love about halflings? That they are half the size for all the price. I find them also to be <laughs> half as interesting as the other races. No, I <laughs> love halflings. Oh. Halflings Jake, I have are a, so I have... underrated. I have a controversial opinion, and you're gonna be so mad when you hear it. Okay. Um, going forward in D and D, I'm not going to allow demi human races. It's just gonna demi- be very like different types of humans. Demi human? So is that a dwarf? Anything that is not a human is a demi human. So you're just allowing humans in your games? Well, I would just reflavor elf like statistics or, or something to be like you're the the humans who are like living in the. The jungles the of deep humans. Oh, yeah. yeah, or the gnomes are like this technologically years. advanced uh, type of human. Interesting. I hate you, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I hate you, but... No, no, no. I, I feel like that fits. Because really, I, I really love... Um, how to, uh, Oblivion. Elder Scrolls does it similarly. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, Durim, or whatever they are called. The uh, They're called the Deep Elves, and they're essentially the dwarves. Which oh, the Dwemer, the the Dwemer, the Dwemer, Dwemer, yes, that um went extinct a long time ago, and I really like that because they're like short, stocky elves, um, and it's like oh, like they were the dwarves. That's really cool, but they went extinct like a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um. So I like that where everyone is. I mean, it really makes sense for my world. Like 
where everyone kind of is interbreeding and you can be like a half gnome, half elf, you know, like you can. An elf? <laughs> a g- a g- elf. A, g- a goblin. Um, no, like, <laughs> no, like I, I like the the ability to interbreed, and it really shows. Like, yeah, everyone is the same, you know, save for those disgusting water genasi or something. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, I I, I I like that. It, it's got almost like a backwards compatible version of my world, which is like be whatever you want. Everyone can interbreed with everyone, and yours is like everyone's kind of a human, but you can kind of change that. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, yeah, it's just a reflavoring that I prefer because I've I've realized that I don't like my D and D taverns to look like the cantina scene from Star Wars. Oh, that's what I want. Oh no! (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm out of here. So, talking about halflings, I think that because these come from hobbits, obviously, and hobbits to me, uh, the Tolkien captured were um, (laughs) almost like peak England. Like, this is the most rural, peaceful, uh, maybe, yeah. like, a little Irish in there. Like, they have their little festivals. Yeah, yeah. All, all they do is they smoke on their porch and drink all day, but not, like, in an excessive way. Just in, like, a I'm retired Intense. now kind of way. Just yes, like a fun little... They're always... It's, like... <laughs> That's it's such contentment. a great thing. Halflings are born retired. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. No, I, I think halflings are, are, are wonderful. They're so... Oh, I, I, I want more halflings in my games. I've had a, a sad lack of them um Ooh. but the, the halflings in my games have been more um when i have them as npcs which is pretty frequently they they do have kind of this irish twang to them um and i and i like mm. that kind of the celtic um almost like fairy touched type of type of thing um and i i really enjoy halflings for me they're all just some variation of martin freeman <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, yeah that's great it's, do yeah. you want to hear um, how they changed halflings in the fourth edition lore oh development diary? Gosh, in my in my research for Historium, I was in the thick of like the uh, how the Tolkien estate like sued D anD D and like the insanity of 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 just like them saying like how hobbits and halflings are exactly the same thing and even nowadays the 5e developers on podcasts will be like yeah so if you want to play a hobbit you can oh shoot uh, i apologize to the to token estate what we meant halfling oh. <laughs> it's like even now it's like yeah they're hobbits <laughs> yeah they just changed the legally copyrighted name uh okay so the way they were changed in the fourth edition development diaries was um, they felt that halflings don't really have a niche because a lot of these races have a, a terrain feature. They have kind of like a racial feature. Um, so you think of elves have the woods and humans have the cities and dwarves have the mountains. Um, and where do the halflings go? Like they have hills, I guess. Grass but then that, But then you could say like the, the orcs probably live in some, whatever. So they wanted a clearly defined region for them. And so they put them on rivers. They say that halflings... Uh, live on the almost like gypsies which i know it's not a pc term but here we are um <laughs> no that's awesome they, and they just float down rivers and they stop in towns and they kind of put on shows and they have um almost like a circus but just more like traveling gypsies they'll tr- they'll trade that's super i know cool. and it's so different than what you think of as halflings being these uh born born retired like they just live in the woods and inherently attach their plot of lands. And they say that halflings in fourth edition uh, have this inherent wanderlust and they refuse to stand still for very long. So they just live on the oh. river. And because they don't get in wars, 
they are the history writers because they're they're like all the lore masters. Yes, because it's all this verbal. So they're like oral all tradition. bards essentially. They're all like it, you learn I from think a in, like Game of Thrones. All of the dwarves, like the 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 short Game people. of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, all of the dwarves are actors because they're just kind of there to be made oh, fun of. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm thinking of here. Is like they're all just kind of actors or jolly, jolly, just like fun types well on the surface on the surface <laughs> that that yeah i like that that's that's a really interesting direction and i i appreciate the um drive in that the i don't know like like wanting to be creative and be like yeah no, no, they're river people they want to traverse rivers and they want to yeah i i, I like that a lot it's fun and it's you know they tried to make forgotten realms interesting and the audience spoke and they don't want that Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay, we got a few more left. Um, another one that I guess I haven't experienced much of my games until I did uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist um, was uh, the Drow, oh. uh, the Dark Elves. And I guess we can also talk about the Dark Dwarves, the Duragar. But Have you guys used them before? No. Really? No. I, uh, I probably used a Drow once, but... Wow, take, interesting. Take it, away, so, take it away. All right, well, all right. So um, the drow kind of had this, This obviously, they're similar to tieflings, like kind of feared by society. They have this um, stigma, which I think 5e isn't well at, where it's like they lean towards chaotic or they lean towards evil, but they, they don't have to be. Um, and so they're kind of this secret society. They they only kind of, you know, think of like Chinatown. Like it's like there's this this separated worlds mm. um and i i have like like drow town are you like saying that, that drow town has the best dumplings you can buy oh yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the drow for me they all speak in kind of russian accents like they're Ooh. like hello there my friends you've come and they they're all kind of like the mafia they have this mob backing them at all times and it, it, it it's really um fun to deal with that where it's like they kind of hidden in the shadow sort of thing um but yeah, I, I really the Drow and Duragar I've used more and more as obviously my whole world looks like the Star Wars Cantina <laughs> on Tatooine, and so I'm like having all these crazy things, and so obviously there's going to be more Drow and Duragar in them. Mm. Um, but yeah, they have been they've been really fun. I loved uh, in Dragon Heist using Jarlaxle, who's like this dark elf, uh, crazy uh, villain or friends, depending on how you play the the game. Uh, in that in that uh, module um and he oh my gosh he was just a dream to role play like my players were like oh i hate him so much but i love him so much <laughs> and i'm just like yes yes i kind of played him as like this um this kind of like russian spaniard mixture like he had the kind of this like spaniard flair to him. oh man it, it was a blast yeah, let's uh, just to finish this off. What are some other kind of minor races you guys uh, kind of have tropes? Oh, for in okay. Your world, um, in your one world of my faves, and this is funny. Like with my no demi humans rule, because tieflings are like one of the best and also one of the worst things that's happened to D anD D. Because like they they're really cool and they're really fun, but then like oh like there's so many of these surly teenager type tieflings now. Like go <laughs> go f- go to Twitter and type in like hashtag tiefling. And you will just ride a wave of, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to be cautious with what I say, 
But you'll you'll see what you see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, <laughs> off the record, I want to hear what you have to say. Um, the the hot topics hot topics greatest hits. Oh, oh we're putting that on the record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, tieflings are really fun, uh, accent wise and role playing wise, because you've got a person who is literally an outcast from society, literally terrifies the general population. Unless you live in Jake's world when there's like half tiefling, half, half goblin children just like playing in the street. <laughs> For me, all Oh, you're talking tieflings. about tieflings? Tieflings? I find in my world, tieflings all tend to be charlatans of some type where they have to get by on their cunning charisma in yeah. order to make their way in the world because otherwise... People are pretty stereotyped against them. Yeah, and I think as they should be, because they, they are descendants from either a curse or from a devil. And I, I mean, who, who's going to trust? Like, oh, my great grandpa was Satan. I'm like, all right. Um, I don't want to buy Taco Bell from you anymore. Uh, anyway, so tieflings are interesting because, uh, like, role playing them, you can kind of factor in these, like, they've had a rough life and they've probably got ulterior motives, but the accent is what really draws me in. The accent being kind of this uh, this undefined, what I would call a, um, if you remember, Tali, Tali from uh, Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just what I go right to. Um, it, it is like a Persian or other vaguely Middle Eastern accent. And I, it's one yeah. of my favorite accents. Yeah, yeah. I really, it's like kind of like Iranian. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that accent, too. I, I've used that for um, different versions of humans. Yeah, it's super good. Um, yeah, I, tieflings are... They open up a whole new can of worms about like there's this weird thing in D and D where like racism is real, but also be- it, it's justifiable it, for justifiable reasons, which like I think is is a very very interesting plot you know driven thing, and I, I hope that, you know this kind of like um, I hope that there isn't this drive of social justice to like eradicate racism from D and D because it, it provides a lot of plot points and a lot of really good interesting um scenarios that, that come up from it um and so obviously you know if you're playing with people who that kind of like it's like i don't want to be in a game that that deals with that sort of stuff then absolutely but um yeah i, I like the opportunities that open up because it's yeah oh you don't want to relate it to the real world because there's just this poisonous connection um but there is some very interesting things if it's like no 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 his his grandpa literally is like asmodeus yeah yeah <laughs> and so yeah it, it's really fun tieflings are some of my favorite and i really 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 love the uh i think it was uh mordenkainen's tome of foes that had all the new tieflings mm, that were like yeah. the white tieflings and the blue tieflings and the orange tieflings and all that stuff that add kind of a little bit of different flavor to uh to the tieflings themselves but yeah tieflings are they're high in my hierarchy of of races that i like to introduce and have players uh, i love them i hate them um only <laughs> a demonic creature could cause such a confluence of emotions uh next i want to talk about the yuan t who i am outraged made it into the player race section of DMD. oh how dare you Okay, I call them Yuntai because I, I I like it better. Um, but the Yuntai, I actually have a player that is a Yuntai rogue right now. Um, this is really fun. They're um, literally yeah, evil, it, Jake. Well, that, it's a whole thing with like you know, orcs are literally evil too. You know, like you can goblins are literally evil. Like right, but you can't it, play as an orc or a goblin. You can play as a half orc. You can play as a goblin. Though. Maybe in your world. 
Not, not no, 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 like in the 5e, in 5e. Yeah, but you can also play as a Yuan-T, so that means nothing. Like, these are, exactly, like, in exactly, the lore, exactly. these are, like, that, bloodthirsty, uh, literally racist against all other races, like... Yeah, and I like that there's the ability to not be that. Um, like, and you have to fight against that, and, yeah, it's 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 super great i i am I'm, I'm a fan of of just this rainbow this cacophony of different races in every possible scenario Ugh. but like in schultz they were they were dealing with yuntai oh my gosh they're poisons and stuff how they're resistant to poison they have like super potent poisons uh, it was just a blast um but yeah yuntai i'm all in next tortles oh the memes. i'm just gonna say it I've said it before. All my turtles, uh, they sound like pirates. That's just how I do it. It's <laughs> so funny. Turtles are pirates. Wait, so pirate accents were really just uneducated criminals from like England and yes. Spain, Scotland. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> right, how you doing there, laddie? I'll eat your gizzard for free, boy. <sighs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It's just a grow. It's it's just like yeah. It really is like Scottish mixed with Spanish with a <laughs> hundred times more grime. And that's would it. would that's you important. accept like an old west outlaw type accent, maybe from a different region? Oh, oh, here's the thing: I would accept it. <laughs> oh my um, gosh! <laughs> but like, yeah, my turtles generally are kind of these pirate type seafaring lads. Um, but are there sea turtles in your world? Yes. Oh, there's plenty of different turtles. There was one uh, turtle that my my uh, characters met. His name was Mort. As Mortimer, he was a, a red-eared tortoise that was a little shy. Uh, they also met several other. I, I played in a one-shot with one of my players DMing uh, as a war turtle, uh, which was a uh, snapping turtle turtle. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's just big old jaws on this uh, this turtle shell. Um, yeah, it, there's there's all kinds. It's a blast. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Uh, war turtle, <laughs> huh? I mean, did you shoot water out of your back? Uh, no, I didn't evolve into black. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, David, you want to talk about goblins? Uh, yeah. Ew. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> goblins are my favorite, just because they're the they're yes. just disgusting. And they're <laughs> they're the disgusting worst. and the worst. And the worst, which which for me makes Sounds them like fun it. because they're just these weird. Quirky, disgusting creatures. I think it's because David can relate to them. Oh, toxic. <laughs> toxic. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I think goblins are, are interesting. They're super interesting. I think that's one of the things yeah. we talked about earlier. Um, if you have like kind of a, you're starting off a new fantasy world and you're introducing your co-workers to D&D. You probably don't want to make Goblin a playable race, or ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but like, long, like down the way, um, I like to explore like what would happen in like the Renaissance if like Goblins were no, real. Like, no, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it, 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 it's interesting to like like view them, and obviously they're di- with Sam Regal in Critical Role, like they're exploring a lot of that stuff. Um, it, it's really fun. Um, and God, yeah, I feel like it's just me punching Will in the face with every word. It's like, I went to rainbow of, of strange monsters as my parents. <laughs> I, I, I like goblins because in my world, they're very, very dumb and easily manipulated. Hmm. So you can, the when you interact with them, there's a lot of room for role play because you can kind of try to convince them to do different things because they aren't very smart. And they're they're very... There, it's like a combination of a rat and a human, in my opinion. <laughs> and that's that's where I'm at, um, because 
once upon a time, I think last year, I wrote a blog called Why Does a Goblin Need Gold? Um, oh, and yeah, it really yeah. raises some questions about, like, are goblins people? And apparently, Society. yeah, like, because they're smart enough to, like, have clothes and kind of, like, have family structures, but they're dumb enough to, like, never have an economy. And rituals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I take my idea for goblins from the Warhammer universe, Warhammer fantasy. Um, there's a race called the Skaven that are just terrible rat creatures. They're not goblins at all. They're just rats that are, like, humanoid. And they're disgusting, and they're about as like slightly smarter, maybe than just a rat. And they're here to eradicate humans. And so me IRL. Oh. <laughs> and so once you think about them as being just these violent and vulgar and vindictive and other V words uh, type creatures, like voluptuous, and sometimes voluptuous. You don't want to play as one, and you just want to yeah. kill them because they deserve death, Jake. Oh. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Put them out of my misery. I am... Will is the goblin slayer, and I am the goblin savior. Uh, speaking of creatures that don't deserve to be played, uh, and I feel like I'm being very antagonistic. I'm really not this negative most days. It's just been a tough week. Um, the Aarakocra. Yes. Bird people. Bring me the cacophony of bird folk. <laughs> my sister no. had a pet cockatiel uh, growing up, and I have Ooh. learned a lot more about birds than I would ever care to. And first of all, that bird was terrible. Uh, may he rest in peace. Or maybe not, because I didn't like him at all. Um, may he maybe rest wherever. And <laughs> But birds are very strange creatures. Like when, you're, when you spend a lot of time with them, birds are not like dogs or cats or any other pet type animals. They're a unique and, and strange thing. And I think that if you're going to have a culture of bird people, um, and like we talked about gnomes being aloof and removed from society, I think bird people would be... Um, I don't want to say nightmarishly different, but dramatically different. <laughs> I don't different. want to say nightmarishly different. Like, this is a, a group of people you cannot understand their culture. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and that's why I, I bend the rules to make everyone kind of be their own flavor of dinosaur. Uh, but, like, yeah, I, I yeah, Erico or I call Maricoa Ericocra. They're, they're very, they're very interesting. And I like the variety, right, where you can be a... Uh, you know, a penguin, Aarakocra, you can be a parrot. <laughs> an Aarakocra, ostrich. You can be an, okay, I've I've introduced an ostrich, Aarakocra, and my players have fallen in love. Oh. <laughs> Does it lay eggs? Um, no, it's, so the ostrich, Aarakocra, is uh, a gross, strange thing. <laughs> it's basically a ball of armor with uh, two legs and a, and, a, and a neck sticking out of it. <laughs> and his name is Sling, and he's Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I know slang here. Yeah, what's going on? And he just <laughs> Jake. If I wanted so, yeah, to play I, 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 as a, a kangaroo-inspired animal creature, oh yeah, a kangaroo folk I, named Ruru. <laughs> oh no, Ruru's on the loose. <laughs> oh man. Um, no, Eric Cockra are great. Um, I think we should probably end it here. <laughs> Because uh, I'm just gonna fall in love. Uh, another type of character is a Saurian, uh, which is a dinosaur type of person. Uh, yeah, forget about it. We should just keep it. Okay, so uh, finishing off, uh, what what is like a last bit of advice that you would give dungeon masters in regards to role playing? I guess I'll go first. My quick tip is give each NPC a title that kind of describes and summarizes them in like one quick sentence so you could have garlock the strange or you know something along those lines or 
Sam the Slayer. Or, you know, you have something that kind of helps you remember what your character is like and can kind of summarize them so that you can more easily roleplay them in the future. So it just kind of adds a little bit beyond their name, so it, it, it adds more of that descriptive nature. Hmm, I like that a lot. I think for me, uh, just being being able to take that risk. Um, I, I saw, I know this is cheesy, I saw a TED Talk a long time ago uh, about... Basically, the whole thing was analyzing this video of this guy at a concert, um, and this guy was just, like, dancing in the in a field, and no one was joining. It was, like, pathetic, and it was just, like, this is the saddest, weirdest thing, um, and then someone else joins in, um, and it's, like, okay, still kind of weird. Why is this guy joining? And then someone else joins in, and then another, and another, and another, until the, the whole field is full of people dancing, hmm. Um and then suddenly you're not looking at like, oh, that's cringy. You're like, oh, that that's awesome, right? And it's – but it took one person in the beginning being able like to risk their social livelihood, to act a little cringy, to hope some people would follow and to make it a party. Hmm. Um, and so I think that that's really important for a dungeon master to be like, put yourself out there. Like even if you've never done an accent before – I know a lot of dungeon masters uh, are – thrust into it like they are like hell yeah i want to be a dungeon master they're like oh crap no one wants to dm i guess i'll do it mm. um and so like if you're in that situation i mean regardless of which situation you're in just being willing to put yourself out there taking a risk um doing a silly accent doing a crazy impression um and putting yourself out there and if you're really into it if you're really passionate about it the players will join in and it'll make the whole session better and so I think that's the importance of role-playing as a dungeon master is it invites everyone in the room to participate in a way that could just be magnificent. That's great. Let's go to the review corner. Let's roll on in. This week's five-star review is from El Mongo 13 He was either born in 2013, making him only six years old, or, <laughs> or he is 13, making him 13 years old. So here's... <laughs> Here is the review. It's called Definitely Give It a Listen. Just started listening to this podcast, and I'm glad I did. Insightful but relaxed. These guys are fun to listen to. Give it a try. You won't be disappointed. Thank you, El Mongo 13. You're the man. Yes. Regardless of your age. Or gender. You're the man. <laughs> or gender. Or, yeah, you're right. Or, yeah, any anything about you, yeah, you're you the man. You are the man. <laughs> if you want to have your five-star review read on the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or on your favorite um, I think they call them pod, uh, pod, pod catcher. Pod catchers. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 47. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are at Vox Arcana podcast. And you can email your questions to Vox Arcana podcast at gmail.com. Author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor, 